Amen. And may God bless this reading of his word. Christ is risen. Can I just have a show of hands? How come we've got all these lights off? Don't we normally have them on? Yeah. Can we have the lights on? People can't read. People can't write. Thank you. Can I have a show of hands as to who responded? He is risen indeed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. We've got a few young people. We will. Just not yet. We will. (laughs) It's not so many years ago. Maybe it is. But when I was your age, okay, that was like 35 years ago. Whenever you came to a church or approached Christian people on Easter Sunday and said, Christ is risen, the automatic response would be, he is risen indeed. And I don't know why that stopped. I I, I don't know why it has changed so much. And and this isn't being critical. Perhaps the young people just think it's one of those things the old people do. You know, we've got these things that do which are just weird, aren't they? You know, sorry? Never heard it. See, so that's the next point I was going to make. Perhaps us old people haven't been as passionate about saying it as we perhaps should be. So you guys go, you know what, there's something in this. What's going on? And I don't know what has caused the change. I don't know why we don't say that anymore. I don't know why the church hasn't continued it, because it is one of the most profound declarations of our faith that we can actually make. And why shouldn't we make it on this day when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord? I think we should. The bottom line is, it encapsulates the most significant event that happened in history. And as I've said, it's a declaration of our faith. Our eternal future is dependent upon our belief of that statement. He is risen. risen You'll get it by the end of the service, hopefully. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for this profound statement, Lord. And I pray that as we get into your word this evening, that that you'll just enliven us, you'll quicken our souls, you'll let us see that there is something that we should grasp hold of from these words. More than anything, Lord, we want to encounter you. We want to know your presence with us and we want to go from here changed. Will you do your work this evening, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's this growing movement that says we shouldn't actually be calling this time of year Easter. It's a pagan festivity. Don't do it. I personally don't have a problem with people calling this time of year Easter. What I possibly do have a little bit of an issue with is what we focus on and what we celebrate. But, you know, as we approach this time of year, I don't mind people saying to me, what are you going to be doing for the Easter weekend? Anyone offended by that? No. And and so I I think it's okay for people to actually say that. But I think we as Christians, when we're asked about this occasion, they say, what are you doing for Easter? I think we should be saying, I'm going to remember what my Lord did for me. I'm going to remember the fact that my faith is based upon this day that we celebrate. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to mix with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to have an awesome time praising and honoring and glorifying God. Your friend's possibly gone by that stage and thinks you're a freak, but that doesn't matter. Trust me, I've had those people go off and think I'm a freak and they're usually the ones that slink into your office when no one else is watching it and ask you to pray for them. It seems to be the way that it happens. We are living in a world that don't know that we're Christian. We're living in a world who don't understand what a Christian is. And so, one of the things I believe we should be doing is greeting each other on this day. Christ is risen. Thank you. Let's think about that first Sunday, the first day that we read about in Matthew 28, and that message that was given by the angels. 
It's in Matthew 28. Hello. What have I done? That's not even right. Let's stop here. Okay. Matthew 28, 6. And the message was, He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. I want you to think about those women who were first told. Think about the society that they are in. Think about the fact that, sorry ladies, women are worthless in that society. You know, if, if you were to go to court and you were to have two people to testify, well, that's fine. All we need are two witnesses, as long as they're men, to actually speak against that person and they would be judged according to that witness. Women, you don't cut it, I'm sorry. And, and we have this event where these women come to the grave. And, and, and they don't find the grave the way they expect it to be. This stone is rolled away and, and it, it's, it's, it's out of the way. These stones, um, I've actually seen the stones that are about this high, they're about that wide. They'd weigh about a ton and they roll down a channel. The channel's on a slope. So when they close this tomb, it's a pretty difficult thing to get them open. But the way it's described actually in Scripture, this stone is not only rolled back up the channel, it's actually lifted out of the channel and put quite a considerable way away from the door. So the women come expecting this tomb to be closed, wondering how they're going to get it open. There should be a guard there, there should be a seal on that. And, and for some reason, the tomb is open. I would think there's a little bit of confusion. I would think that there's a little bit of doubt for them as to what's going on. I think that's um, played out in what is said. And then the angel said, come and see where he lay. The tomb was open so they could see he has risen. The tomb was open for us so we could see the truth of what was already declared. Jesus didn't need that door opened. There's many accounts of how he stood in a room that was fully locked. It was open for us. And looking into the tomb, we're told that the women then went and told the disciples what they'd seen. And what did the disciples do? They believed for them with joy and celebrated. Nah, they didn't do that at all. Oh, this is going to be very good tonight, isn't it? Can I have the next slide, please? No? Okay. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told us these things to the apostles. But these words to the apostles seemed idle, an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. And so these women have gone to declare what they have said to the very disciples of Jesus, who Jesus had said, this is what's going to happen. And the women come to them and they say, nah, don't believe it, not for a moment. They're doubting. They're wondering what really happened. And I think sitting here tonight, there's some of us that are in all those categories. There's some of us that have seen and heard what has happened. There's some of us that have responded to that. There's some of us who doubt the reality of the resurrection and what really happened back then. There's some of us who are like, you know, did this really happen? We haven't even got to that stage where we've made that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't think we're any different than the people that are gathered here this evening. We're sitting amongst those who don't believe. We're sitting amongst those who do believe. We're sitting amongst those who've had this incredible blessing of knowing the saving quality of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. I'm one of those people who have been transformed miraculously by him. And there's others here who really do want to believe. They really do want to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But they're really struggling. They really don't know if it is real or not. And there's some here who perhaps have even flat out declared that this event never even happened. 
And hopefully by the end of this, we'll be a little bit closer to God, each and every one of us. That's my desire. So first up, I want to talk about the evidence. We've got two points tonight, praise God, but they're going to go over about an hour, okay? So only two points this evening. So this first point, the evidence. And let's really focus on the words that were first spoken by that angel. He is not here, he is risen, as he said. Do you believe that? Amen. I do. I think it's fantastic. This is said and recorded not as some fanciful man-made fantasy. It is an absolute truth. Do we believe in absolute truth now? You guys possibly have a bit of troubles with that as you get into your studies and things like that because they say there's no absolute truth anymore. This is an absolute truth. Throughout Scripture, the truth of the resurrection record is never questioned. There's some people who had doubts and things like that, but this is never questioned and never debated. And in fact, throughout Scripture in the early church, the declaration of Jesus rising from the dead is accepted as a foundational truth of their faith. All through Scripture, it's never questioned. And when we look at chapters like 1 Corinthians 15, we see these things. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And then 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But the thing there is, of course, Jesus has been raised. There's no question about that. That's why we have this faith. And the passage that we read this evening tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary which is Mary, the mother of James, went to the tomb after the Sabbath. And they told by an angel that Jesus had risen. And they looked into the tomb and they saw that the body was gone. They didn't know how or why, but they just saw that the body was gone. And then John 20 tells us that Mary returned to the tomb after telling the disciples the tomb was open. And she then stood in the garden weeping after everyone had left. And Jesus spoke to her and she saw him. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then this time, Jesus also appeared to the disciples, less Thomas. Thomas wasn't actually with them. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And Thomas wasn't actually part of this meeting where the disciples actually saw Jesus. And he made this rather considerable boast that he would not believe unless he could put his finger in the wounds in Christ's hands, unless he could plunge his hand into Christ's side, he would not believe that he had raised from the dead. Has anyone made silly statements like that? Great, I'm on my own, praise God. But then John, then Thomas, when he actually saw Jesus, and Jesus said, Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And so Jesus has appeared to Mary and Mary and some other women. Jesus has also appeared to the disciples now. And I want you to think about these men who were with Jesus. These are men who have left their former lives and become true ambassadors for Christ on this earth. They declare the truth of what they have seen. And after this event with Jesus, after his resurrection, they go on and do that for about 40 years on average um, for these guys. And it wasn't an easy life. You'll find that the majority of them suffered severe persecution. They were beaten. They were jailed. They were imprisoned. And all of them, save John, are believed to, uh, John is believed to have died of natural causes, but the rest of them died incredibly violent deaths all because of their faith. No other reason. 
why would they do that? I, I, they wouldn't do that for a good person. It would only go so far. They did that because they had seen the risen Lord. And it was life-transforming. There's no other explanation. But it goes on further than that. I've said it before, and I will never change, I don't think. I love the story of James, Jesus' brother. It is an incredible story. James is this guy who didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah, just like the rest of his family. Mary did, of course. Joseph did, of course. But the siblings thought Jesus was stark raving mad. And they used to poke fun at him. And uh, it's incredible in John 7 where... um, it gives the account of Jesus' brothers saying, go on, you go up to Judea. You should show people what you really like. That's what a real leader would do. And then it says at the bottom, they said this because they did not believe he was Messiah. But something happened. And we're told that Jesus appeared to James in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And his life was so transformed that he ends up being the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And this is no average leader. Go around and check the older people in the church after the service, young people, and just see if they've got calluses on their knees like camels. Can you imagine what that looks like? That was James's knees from his commitment to prayer. He was continually on his knees before the Lord, praying for the church, praying for the believers. And then he too died a gruesome death. He, he conned the Jewish leaders in a way. They said, we want you to stand on the temple. I want you to declare to all these people that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. James said, yeah, I'll do it. And then he gets up there and, of course, he declares Jesus Christ is Messiah. And they get so angry, they throw him off. And, and he's killed tragically as he falls into the square below. Another man who was willing to die for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there were those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they were walking along quite happily speaking with this guy, very nice friendly traveller as it worked out to be. Then they get close to their destination where they're actually going to go and they beg this man to come in with them because, you know, it's dangerous on the roads late at night and things like that. And as they go in, they actually decide to have a meal together and this traveller with them breaks the bread and suddenly their eyes were open and they know that it's Jesus. And they were so excited they didn't hang about, they bolted back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples that they have actually seen Jesus. Another two guys who Jesus appeared. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, it tells us that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. And at the time of the writing of that book, some, people, some of those guys were still alive. And the challenge by Paul was, this actually happened. This is a true account of what occurred. These people are still alive. Go and ask them. They'll tell you that they saw the risen Lord. And there's one more. This guy called Saul. He was at the top of his game. He had everything you could possibly want on this earth. He was zealous for God. He was pursuing those of the way, those who followed this Jesus. He was on his horse. You know, horses were also uh, an indication of status and stature in, in that community at the time. And Jesus literally knocked him off his horse, or something did. And Jesus speaks to him, and he says, Who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And this wasn't something that Saul made up. I suppose he could have. But when you think about the transformation in his life, how everything turned around, uh, it's it's clear that um, something radical happened to Saul at that time. 
He could have made it up. But uh, I don't think he would have. It's not what I see. Paul ends up being called. He's called by God. And he has this incredible faith that he suffers greatly for. And I don't know anyone who do and go through the stuff that Paul went through for a lie. He was totally transformed. And the only viable explanation is the account in Acts 9 is real. He saw the risen Lord. Every Sunday, every Sunday, the day that was chosen by the early church to worship Jesus because it was the day that he rose, millions, millions of people across the world come together to do the same thing, to worship and honour and glorify God. Every baptism that you have ever witnessed is a declaration of someone's encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And they're obeying Jesus. They're going through the waters of baptism because that's what he told them to do. The failure of the church to be overthrown, in my opinion, is testimony to the fact that Jesus lives. Many have tried and continued to fail. Jesus said, I will build my church. I believe he will continue to do so until he returns. And of course, there's us, each and every one of us, living witnesses of the transforming power, transforming power of God, available to us because Jesus rose from the dead and he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us, to strengthen us, to guide us and lead us. <clears throat> but the question is, why was Jesus resurrected? Why did we need that? And there's obviously a ton of things we could say about this as well, but I have to keep this message actually within something that's reasonable, so I'll try and do that. So I just want to talk about some very basic things about the resurrection. And I think first and foremost, Jesus was raised from the dead because he said he would be. It's that simple. Luke 24, 6 says, He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And there are Old Testament prophecies that also said the Messiah would be raised from the dead and that his body would not see decay. And so all of this had to be fulfilled or be clear that God's word could not be trusted. Jesus was put to death because he claimed to be the Son of God. He had to be raised from the dead in order to prove that he was who he claimed to be. Romans 1, 3 to 4 says, Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thirdly, we say that Jesus' death paid the price for sin once and for all. What's the penalty for sin? death so if jesus stayed dead if he stayed in the ground if he stayed buried how do we know that he's overcome sin as he was supposed to on the cross death was the punishment for sin and so if jesus did not sin and live that perfect life in order for us to have a relationship with god he took our sin upon himself then death should have no hold on him that's the punishment for sin, and he didn't sin. And that's exactly what is declared in Acts 2.24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
Amen? I think that's a powerful verse. And the final reason that I want to bring to your attention is that Jesus was raised for the ultimate fulfillment of God's love towards us. We know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Will have eternal life. In these basic reasons we have some of the great biblical truths that we need to hang on to as Christians with the fulfillment of God's word we know that we can trust what he says we can trust what is contained in the Bible each and every word that is there it is there for a purpose and a reason God does not break his word he is faithful and true And there have been many questions about who Jesus really is. And being raised from the dead, as far as I'm concerned, is a pretty convincing proof that he is God. End of story. I don't know anyone else who's done it. Jesus is the Son of God. He's who he claimed to be. And his resurrection proves that. And the third reason that we gave, Jesus lived a life without sin. It was the only way that there could be an acceptable sacrifice to pay for our sins. And death could not hold him because he was without sin. And the final reason I've discussed here is that Jesus was risen so that we could have life with him. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. The declaration of life eternal with him. Today, Easter Sunday is the day that we celebrate this incredible event. Christ is risen. We're getting there. But in his rising, we are shown that God accepted the suffering of death of his perfect son as full payment for our sins. That Jesus took those sin upon himself and was punished in our place. Jesus was not some great man Jesus was not some great prophet Jesus was the son of God he was who he claimed to be and because of his resurrection I know that my life doesn't end in the grave death doesn't hold the fear it once did for me I no longer have to fear what is to come because he is risen He lives and says, I will live with him. And so the question is, where are you tonight? What fears do you carry? Because I think we all carry some fears throughout life. And honestly, the first time I made a commitment to the Lord was because I was scared stiff of dying. That's the honest truth. Where are your fears tonight? What weaknesses do you long to overcome? What sadness and sorrow do you carry? What sins weigh in upon you? Are you doubting? Are you questioning your faith? Do you have financial burdens, relationship problems, health issues, family quarrels? Do you have people who are plotting against you? I've said it a few times and um, you'll hear it again. I'm sorry if it becomes too much, but I've had the privilege of going to Israel. This was our guide Um, in the garden tomb 
and, and behind Caesar, Caesar was this guy's name, how cool is that? He asked us to remember him by the salad, not by the other guy, so um, we were pretty wrapped about that. And, and you see the doorway of this tomb has actually been cut open, and it, I'm not sure, can you see that step? Uh, not the timber step, the step that's actually behind that, the rock step, that's actually the channel that the door rolls in. And so um, this, this opening would have once been just a small hole that you had to bob right down in to get into. And this is actually one of the locations that they believe Christ could have actually been buried in. And I think Caesar, when he was talking to us, was very passionate about the location, just a little bit away from this tomb is, is what is left of a wine press. So this was actually in a garden. What does scripture tell us about where Jesus was buried? It was in a garden. And then just beside that garden is this massive bus depot. And just above this bus depot is this skull in the rock. What scripture tell us about where Jesus was buried? And it just so happens that that's right where this main highway used to go into Jerusalem. And when we say main highway back in that day, it was just a track. And that's where they used to crucify people, was right beside the highway. And so Caesar was talking to us. We spent quite a bit of time with him. We had communion with him and everything like that. And then he said something at the very end, which will stay with me my whole life. I mean, we've been to a lot of sites by the time we got to the garden tomb. We'd been to a lot of sites where it was just all about the tourism and everything like that. And they said this stuff, which was absolute rubbish. It didn't line up with scripture. But we got here and we hadn't been in the tomb. Caesar wouldn't let us even go up and look in. He kept us well away from it. So we're standing in a semicircle around him. And then when he said, he said, I'm about to leave you. He said, this is the end of the tour. He said, I'm going to leave you here. Enjoy the empty tomb. Do you get it? And that's what it's all about. He said, this is just a room that is empty. That is not what this is about. We celebrate because the tomb is actually empty. We celebrate because Jesus rose. And that's what Caesar wanted us to understand over there. That's what he wants everyone. Caesar's a Christian. And he wants everyone who comes through the garden tomb there to understand it isn't about coming to this place. And, and guys, like seriously, I walked into this one place where there was this slab of stone and women were rubbing their babies across it. They were rubbing their handbags across it. It was crazy. They wanted good luck from this stone. Apparently, this is where Jesus was laid when he was wrapped in the garments before he was buried what a load of crock this was a totally different location and a totally different field feel enjoy the empty tomb think about all that christ went through in order to present the tomb empty all the suffering that he went through and the question is will you commit yourself afresh to him today Will you accept that we don't always get it right? I mean, I don't always get it right. In fact, I get a lot of things very, very wrong. But we have an opportunity, even now, to present ourselves afresh to Jesus. And I believe he calls us to bring our sins, to bring our doubts, to bring our weaknesses, to bring our fears. In fact, everything that is holding us back from being all we can be for him. He wants us to come and he wants to put us at the foot, want us to put that at the foot of the cross. That's where it deserves to be. We don't need to linger there, though. especially today. We should move to the open tomb. And we should realize the empty tomb represents true strength, new life, 
power and assurance. Christ is risen. No, you can do better than that, I'm sorry. We can stand here until midnight if you want. Christ is risen. risen Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the statement that you are risen. Thank you, Lord, that you are indeed risen. And Lord, we want, I just want that to go into everyone's heart, everyone's mind, Lord. I want them to appreciate what you have done for us. And Lord, you rose from the dead more to confirm the incredible work that you did upon the cross. The grave's empty because you're the son of God. The grave's empty because you overcame sin and death. And because you did that, neither of those things have a hold on me. Neither of those things have a hold on everyone who's hearing my voice. Let us realize that, Lord. Let us claim that as our own. And let us believe tonight, sin no longer has a hold on me. And I can come to you, Lord, with my doubts, my fears, my weaknesses. And you'll give me your strength. You've promised that. You'll encourage me and uplift me. And I pray that for each one tonight. Lord, if there's any of us who have needs, give us the courage to come forward for prayer. Prayer, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen.